0: So, um, that's our praying time tonight. That's uh, me praying. I hope you were praying with me. And uh, we got to break down some on Wednesdays. we got to break down and pray like we do on Sundays. That would be good. It might freak a few people out, but it wouldn't hurt anything. All right, so if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. I've been kind of crawling through this thing like a turtle, but uh, that's okay. We're getting, we're getting it done. So let me kind of review with you. Uh, Let me see where I'm at on the PowerPoint. Yeah, so um, we're talking about waxing strong in Christ. So we've talked about the duty of obedient uh, children, and that's duty, D-U-T-Y. It has nothing to do with duty, like whatever you would spell that, D-O-O-T-Y. I don't know. So uh, not a new baby type of thing. Uh, But that does go along with it. So we talked about the duty of obedient children, which what's the primary thing a child has to learn? Uh-huh. Obedience. That's right. Obedience, right? That's So we learned that, and we talked a lot about it. And then the duty of loving fathers, right? That's, we talked about that, and uh, that's, a little more, that's a little more comprehensive, but what's Ephesians? Remember, what, what was it Paul tells, tells us there that a dad's not supposed to do? There's, it's kind of a positive and a ne- or a negative and a positive. Yeah, don't provoke them to wrath. So that's what you don't want to do. And then what do you want to do? You want to raise them up, all right, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so the implication there is you can kind of keep them down, right, if, you, if you're if uh, you wrathful. I know some of you probably had dads like that, not good examples of Christ, maybe a dad that was short-tempered, short-fused, and, uh, you know, a tyrant around the house. Well, that kind of tends to push you down, make you rebellious. Uh, but a dad who knows how to nurture, he's going to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's going to elevate them. It's gonna get them. It's gonna it's gonna lift their spirits. It's gonna gonna get them closer to Christ. Is what it's gonna do. It's gonna get them heavenly minded instead of earthly minded. So that was a good little study that we went through, um, and pretty simple. I probably said too much. I should have just said what I just said and moved on. That's about all we need to know about that. Okay. And then um, and then and then today we're gonna to look at the, the servants, and uh, hopefully we can get to the masters as well. So uh, just by way of review, let's look at the text. We'll read it all down to verse ten. It's not very much. Does anybody want to read tonight? If you do, you got to do it online. So you got to do it in the mic. I was I was in a room with some pastors, not in a real room, a virtual meeting today with a whole group of pastors, and they like, who wants to do devotion? We all just like not like we're a bunch of pastors, and not one of us was raising our hand to do devotion. Isn't that pitiful? So I know how you feel. You're like, no, I really don't want to do that right now. So all right, I'll read. Since there's no, anyone online, want to read? Okay, it doesn't matter. We don't have you mic'd up. I don't even know there is anyone online. Is there anyone online? Yeah. Okay. If you're online, I just want you to know we love you and we're glad you're joining us. And uh, I know that, like, I know like, uh, oh, uh, Gwaine and Betty often join us online. There's several. So, uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Right? It's right. Every parent knows that, and uh, most kids have heard that. One way or another. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is a first commandment with promise, verse 3, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We've covered all of that. Now new, new stuff here. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, for bearing threatening. Knowing that your master also in heaven, also in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. And then verse 10, finally, brethren... Be strong in the Lord, which uh, in in the power of His might. So this is again. That's why we're talking about being waxing strong. We're actually going through verse up to verse nine, but um, uh, through verse ten in there. For, that's extra. You didn't even have to pay extra for that. So, um, all right. So there's a lot here to talk about when it comes to obedient service. So we talk about. We've uh, mentioned the, the obedient the, the children being obedient. Uh, The duty of obedient children, the duty of loving fathers, and the duty of submissive servants. So, um, verses 5 through 8 deal with that. So, when you look at the text here, let's just look at it once again. Let's see if I have... I don't have it. Okay. Um, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart. So, that's integrity. Uh, As unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So, godly servants have fidelity to their masters. So, Lisa would know about fidelity because her husband's a Marine. So, uh, and so... Semper Fi, that's right. Uh, other, other than Lisa, who knows what, what Semper Fi means? Always faithful, that's right. Always faithful. Uh, Semper Fidelis is actually what it is, and Fidelis is shortened to Fi. So uh, that means always faithful. Not that that matters. Hoorah, isn't that army? So, No. That's the Marines, is the URA. See, I don't know anything. I know Jesus, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I know that Semper Fi is always faithful. So you're talking about being faithful to their masters. So the word servant refers to those uh, taken as slaves, serving as uh, endure, uh, indentured servants, uh, and those, I should say. So it's not just one or the others, both. So um, it's estimated that about 40% of the Roman population was a a servant or what's called a slave during the first century. So it wasn't exactly like the slavery that you would see uh, like in America in the, in the, what is it, 1619 forward, which included both, uh, which, which is all true. There was slaves here, uh, both black and white slaves in America. Um, <clears throat> and so this is, a lot of it was more like what you would see in the biblical sense um, and still goes, which is an indentured servant. So there's a release point, you pay it off. And you're you're you are the collateral, you work off your time. It's sort of like one of those magazine scams where they get the kids and they say, Oh, you can sell magazines <laughs> door to door, and then they're they're held captive for a whole summer going door to door, making no money and don't have anything to pay their bills and they're starving to death. Yeah. And then they just can't wait to get out of that and go home. So have you ever seen those gay kids? It's terrible, really. It's kinda like that for real. And so so that's kind of what it was like, except it was probably better than the magazine scams that they put those kids in. So Um, Anyway, the book of Philemon was written to address the issue of slavery in the church. So this is kind of, this is educational. Um, I was just, I had a lively discourse today on one of my Facebook posts and I ended it, the last conversation I had on there was about Abraham Lincoln. So this is really fitting because he's on my mind right now. Anyway, I'll get to Abraham in a minute. But the, the book of Philemon was written to address the issue of slavery in the church Uh, Philemon, or Philemon, however you want to say it, owned a slave named Onesimus, who was born again while in bonds. So he was in prison with Paul in Rome. He was in, he was like Cass County Jail. And then, you know, Paul's in there, hey, what's up, Onesimus? Uh, And yeah, I I know Philemon too. And then he leads him to Christ. However that worked out, I don't know. I really wasn't privy to the conversation. But uh, we know from the letter that, that Paul wrote to Philemon, that is what happened, is he led Onesimus to Christ in bonds, in prison. And so, um, so now he wrote to Philemon to receive Onesimus not as a slave, but but as his own son. Uh, now that blows the doors off a few things if you think about this. Uh, t- treat him as though he's literally a freeborn Roman, such as myself, born from my bowels. See, Paul was a freeborn Roman. He wasn't like a lot of Romans it, uh, you remember when you were in the Book of Acts study. We saw how Paul. You know, the people that were were persecuting him were, did not have as much credibility as Roman citizens as Paul did. He didn't buy his way in, which, by the way, technically you weren't supposed to be able to buy your way in. That was that wasn't even right. But Paul was a freeborn uh, Roman uh, citizen, and uh, and he's like, "Hey, receive him as my son," which would have made him like a free man. You know, uh, and, and with with all the benefits. And so that was like, whoa heavy. So let's look at the text in Philemon. I got it up here on the screen but if you have a Bible, it's better if you turn to your Bible, open it up, look at it with your eyeballs it might take you a few minutes to find Philemon because it's only it's right before Hebrews and it's a, its only a, you could read the whole chapter right now I mean it's uh, 20, 25 verses and that's the whole book it's just really uh, a paragraph uh, well it's a, little, it's a long paragraph but it's only 25 verses 25 sentences, just about Maybe a few more sentences than that, but it's still not very long so um, Philemon um, we'll just start in verse nine. I'm not going to read it every bit of it, but can uh, you get the background Paul in verse one, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy our brother unto Philemon, Philemon uh, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer so Philemon's a good guy, he's a fellow laborer and and uh, obviously he's got this church going on in his house and and then uh, Paul comes down here, and he says in verse, uh, in verse nine. He says, "Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul, the aged. I'm getting, I'm getting there. Uh, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's what you got to look forward to. The older you get, you know, eventually. I remember Phyllis Riddle told me that she, when she was getting older, she says basically, I'm going to get old and go to places I don't want to go. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened." Um, I beseech thee uh, for my son Onesimus whom I have begotten in my bonds which in time past was to thee unprofitable but now profitable to thee and to me whom I have sent again thou therefore receive him not as mine uh, that <coughs> receive him that is mine own bowels so everything I already said is is wrapped up in that one little passage in those 3 verses so Paul just kind of look at it closely again he says uh, he says in verse 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. So he wasn't literally his son any more than Timothy was like literally his son. But what he's saying is he's been born again. I've begotten in my bonds. I gave birth to this guy. So how would Paul give birth to somebody being a male and all? Yeah, let him be Christ. So he got born again. So this has nothing to do with transgenderism, nothing at all to do with anything that's perverse in our culture today. So the Bible's way ahead. So you can give birth to somebody and be a guy, but you've got to do that spiritually, and it's got to be through the seed of the gospel, and it's got to be conceived with the Spirit of God in the heart of man. And then they're born again. So Paul says, I begot this guy, Onesimus, in my bonds, and uh, in, my, in my prison. And so, which in time past, notice this, his, his testimony wasn't very good. In the past, he was unprofitable. So Paul knows a little something about Onesimus, probably from Onesimus' own testimony, which is, yeah, I wasn't a very good servant. Probably a little nervous, you know. Like I was, yeah, that's why I'm in prison. He probably ran, maybe he got involved with the wrong crowd, maybe he tried to steal something. You know, who knows. So we don't know all the backstory, but we know that that Paul's willing to say, yep, he wasn't a very good slave, he wasn't a very good servant. And uh, and so, uh, yeah, not very good which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable unto thee. So he'll do you he'll do you right now, uh, Philemon, but he's also profitable to me, and I'm his daddy in the Lord, spiritually speaking. Um, and so receive him in my stead. Now there's only one father, and that's God, so I'm just saying that in a stewardship sense. Uh, <clears throat> Paul's technically his brother, but he's fathering him in discipleship. So he says, you know... I need you to receive him, um, because just receive him like he's my son. So he's basically kind of telling Philemon in a really nice way, you don't own him anymore, because he got saved. That's kind of heavy. Now, legally, did he own him? Did he, have a, did he have a contract of some sort, legally? Yeah. I mean, there's no indication that it was an illegal situation. So he legally had dominion, let's say, over over Onesimus, but when Paul says, "I'm sending him back, treating him like my own son," so treating me as an equal, Treat him as a free man, that's heavy. That's a big deal. I just saw it literally just like minutes ago before I came here. I saw an African fella who was putting out a, a post on a, on a on a thing about is uh, a conspiracy supposedly to to do genocide upon. Um, which does happen frequently in Africa. Um, there's all kinds of strife there. And he was so upset about it. Um, and so I bring that up because he, he was, it, was a, it was a situation where um, he couldn't believe that uh, people wanted to you know, literally execute this thing on his, on his people. So uh, Onesimus is probably a little scared to go back because he's thinking, man, I might face wrath. Paul's like, don't sweat it. You're mine. You're free. Um, you're not going to be mistreated. So Paul understood what he was asking as Philemon had financial interest in this prisoner turned Christian, right? I mean, this guy, there's probably money at stake. And Paul, under understanding the financial impact, told Philemon to put the charge on his account. Uh, meaning, well, Philemon, you owe me your soul. Um I'm asking you to free this slave, receive him as you'd receive me, receive him in my stead, and put all the charges, whatever he owes, on my account. So look in verse 13. Paul goes on to say, Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. So now he's bound to the gospel. Um, I, I, would have, I would have liked to retain him with me, but I can't, because he's profitable to me in the ministry. That's why, that's why I'd like to have him with me. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should be as it were of necessity, not willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, so just to be clear, but above a servant. What's above a servant? Well, a brother, uh, beloved especially to me but how much more unto thee both in the flesh and in the lord so paul's not just saying hey man this guy ought to come back and you ought to receive him uh you know above a servant but as a brother uh but you also ought to realize that you need to have the same love for him that i do as, as your brother in the lord so this isn't just good for me this ought to be good for you if thou count me therefore a partner receive him as myself now, Paul's putting some heavy words down there. So he's like, hey, if you think I'm credible as a partner in the ministry, now just receive him like it's me. I mean, he's, I mean, through Paul, Jesus is just ratcheting this thing up on old Philemon. Philemon is like, yeah, you don't, you don't need to act like you own him. You don't need to use him as your servant. You need to use him as your partner. You need to receive him as me, completely equal. Actually, you owe me your soul. You need to, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty serious. If thou count me therefore as a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, but, but 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 Paul he, oh, just in case, Philemon, if he hath wronged thee or oweeth thee aught, put that on mine account. You got a bill, you got a score to settle with the old Onesimus? Don't sweat it. Just just send me the bill. I'll take care of it. That's how much that's that's my endorsement of this slave that's no longer a slave, he's a brother. As a matter of fact, don't even receive him like a brother. Receive him like it's me, right? If you would honor me, honor him. Just treat him the same way. And if, if, if he's owing you something, put it on my account. All right, so Paul is clear. Now, let me pause right there real quick. So if you have employees, how should you treat them? You, definitely there's an authority structure. But you also, I mean, if you're a good boss, you're gonna, your peers are going to know you treat them. You, you treat your employees like peers, is what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to say. That'd be real serious, wouldn't it? You definitely don't lord over people. Um, so, moving on. That was a side note. So Paul. Uh, so it's clear that Paul that that a godly servant, and that, which is who Paul is. Paul is clearly a godly servant, uh, and it's clear that a godly servant is obedient to their masters. So uh, I'm not to that point yet. So there's no doubt that Paul would have sent Onesimus back with the same instruction he is giving the servants here in Ephesians six. Um, so I mean, if a, if, a, if a, that's, that was really that was what Paul was wanting to do, is send them back and say, "Hey, here you go." So though we're no longer we no longer have slavery in the U.S., we should serve our earthly employers with the same obedience as a born again Roman slave. So part part of this, too, was the fact that you could trust. You could now trust Onesimus. It's clear that you couldn't trust Onesimus before. I'm sure Onesimus would own up to that. I'm not trustworthy, right? I wasn't trustworthy. But now Paul's saying he's trustworthy. He's so trustworthy, if I could, I'd keep him here with me. (laughs) But I wouldn't do that without your mind. If you want to send him back, you can. I'm going to give him back to you because he's profitable to the ministry. Receive him as myself. Here's my gift back to you. And so... um, Wow, that's heavy. So, uh, so by the way, uh, the Scripture is clear that you cannot serve two masters, right? You really cannot. Uh, so, Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will hold the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. So, back in Ephesians 6, in our text, right? So, he's Paul's laying this down for them. Servants, be obedient to them who... Then that, I'm sorry, are your masters according to the flesh. He's very clear. If you find yourself under the yoke, which is 40% plus of the population in the first century, uh, under some you know slave situation or, or what we would call indentured, indentured service or whatever it might be, you are to serve with fidelity your master. Um, and that was a good percentage of the people he was talking to with fear and trembling. In singleness... Of your heart. Notice he's not just talking about I'm standing on the out. I'm standing up on the outside, but I'm sitting on the inside. Right? I'm sitting down on you on the inside. I'm not going to serve with a willing heart. He's like, no, do it with a good heart, knowing that you know what if you serve them with the right heart, it's like serving Christ. You're doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing services to the Lord, not unto men. Serve them as you would serve who? Christ. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? I remember a true story. Amy can remember this story. Um, it was a terrible day in my life. I, if you ever, you guys, have, anybody have those like automatic door openers, you know, in your garage? A couple of you. Okay. So if you have an automatic door opener in your garage, you you get accustomed to just getting in the car. At least I do. Hitting the button, then I back out. You know. You know where this is going. So one day, Amy and I were leaving. I was actually leaving for work a little late. It was like 7.30. I should have probably been in about 7 back in the day, construction and all that. But driving down to Fairfax was a bear. But anyway, for whatever reason, I'm in the, it was 7.30 when Amy was leaving. And uh, we both jump in the car. We both hit the garage door openers, except for I forgot to open mine. But when the door on her side went up, all the light came in. And I just kind of like was brain dead. That was Valentine's Day, by the way. And uh, and so guess what I did? I backed right through the door. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, and I'm out. So I get out of the car. You know, I pull forward, get out of the car. get. Back. I'm outside, and my cell phone rings. You know, this wasn't too long before I was down here. Um, and uh, I think we may have even had the church plant going at that time. I don't remember the Bible study. I don't know. Who cares? So I'm, I'm on my phone, and my boss is ripping me a new one over something. I don't even remember what it was. It took everything in my heart to just not, you know, return um, fire with fire. And this guy's kind of, sorry, Daryl, but you can be surly. And so, uh, so you know, and he would probably admit that. So maybe he wouldn't, I don't know. But anyway, he was really giving me the business. I'm like, I just want to, you know, reach to the phone and grab him by the neck right now. But anyway, I didn't. And God, by God's grace, I kept the cool. But you know what? I'm, you're, even if your boss is surly... And uh, kind of rough at times, uh, or all the time. Of course, you live in a, a country where you can get another job, so praise the Lord for that. Uh, but, you know, you should serve them as the Lord. Not because they earned it, but because that's what God says. You should, have, you should be faithful to him. And so, I just remember that, because I was like, that was one time in my life I did not want to serve my boss as the Lord, right? It's not always easy to do that, uh, but you should. Serve your boss as, as the Lord. With a good heart, and, and that's the issue. It's got to be an internal thing. Godly servants are to have integrity of heart. So time after time, the single-hearted slave is highlighted in the Old Testament. So this goes on and on. In First Timothy 6.1, uh, the, the Apostle Paul says, um, so this is our next point, godly servants have integrity. First Timothy 6.1, let as many uh, servants as are under the yoke count their masters worthy of all honor. That the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. Right, so we can blaspheme um, the name of God and His doctrine if we don't handle being in servitude properly. Now, he's literally talking to slaves, or, or those that are what we would probably more precisely call indentured servants back in the Roman era, because they had even slaves had some rights back then. It's not necessarily like here in the states. Um, and so that's the slavery, that's, by the way, Philemon, I, I, I didn't get to that. But uh, it, it's because of, of passages, it's because of the New Testament that the conscience of the church was, was against slavery, just like we're against abortion. And so it just isn't right to kill something God's creating in the womb. You know, Yeah, there's miscarriages and stuff, but you don't intentionally go in for the sake of, of, of someone's economy and kill a life. Uh, life is more important than economy, you know. Right? I mean, just you don't mess with that. Well, you don't put people in slavery, um, and remove their identity as a human. So Christians are like, no, you can't do that. That's where the abolition movement came from. And so, uh, well, where did that? Where did that conscience come from? Well, it came from Bible-believing Christians, which, by the way, not not all slaves. Were, it also came from people who had been enslaved in Europe and were glad to be free. It's hard to be free, and then turn around and enslave somebody else. Well, it should be hard to be free and turn around and enslave somebody else, but uh, obviously that is obviously how black folks became slaves in the USA both it wasn't there's a dynamic today. It's like it was the great European white guy, which it was in some regards. A lot of Spaniards were involved in that and, and what have you. But the reality was, uh, so were a lot of tribes in Africa selling their their uh, African na- neighbors into slavery, right, dominating. Their neighbors and putting them into into slavery, because the problem with slavery is not melatonin; it is the wickedness of the heart. It's 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 profiting off of other people. Same thing when you see uh, we got human slavery going all over the all over the world right now uh, with sex trafficking, right? Uh, in a lot of countries, including our own, and so human slavery has not gone down. As a matter of fact, you could make a case it's gone up. So there's still a lot of slavery and it's a, uh, it's, it's masked, it's hidden, but uh, there's all kinds of problems with that to this day because it's a problem of the heart. And so, uh, so the Bible addresses that, but at the same time, if you find yourself in that position, you know what you are to, uh, if you're under the yoke, count the count the masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. So for our context, of course, you know, we're all free people in this nation I don't know that everybody listening to me is free. In our context, we're free. So we have the liberty, right? You really don't have any, really, as an American. You have zero excuses for, not, for dishonoring your boss. You just don't have any. Because all you got to do is get a new job, right? It's not like you're stuck for the rest of your life. You can get a new job. And so you just get a new job, wouldn't it? It's a great country, at least for now, until the the government assigns you a job, and that's where you got to go. But uh, for right now, you can still go get a job. So praise the Lord for that. And so Joseph, one of the greatest types of Christ in the Bible, um, there's nothing negative said or recorded about him. He was faithful to God and to Pharaoh through every sordid twist and turn of his life. Like Paul said to the Philippians, the servant of the Lord must be faithful no matter what. So this isn't me saying that. In Philippians 4.11, the Bible says... Uh, not that I speak of respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, including prison, um, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So Paul's like, you know what, it doesn't really matter. My case, there's no excuse. I'm going to honor the Lord no matter what. So if he's in the jail in Philippi... In chains, uh, which he was, shackled him and Silas. Not because they did anything wrong, but because they did everything right. Midnight rolls around. They start singing songs. You know, They're just honoring God no matter what. And God works for them because uh, they're serving the Lord in bonds and out of bond, bond, bonds or bounds. And so in Second Kings 5.2, there's a little maid servant uh, in Syrian captivity uh, to Naaman, who was an influential um, Syrian. And so I don't how many of you guys remember that story? All right? So I think you're familiar with that. So Second Kings Five2, this little maid servant tells the Syrian captain Naaman, um, "Hey, man, you need to go see Elisha." Well, actually, she tells, her, she tells his wife, and his wife talks to him, and you need to go see Elisha the prophet down in Israel." And uh, of course, he goes down there and he's like, uh, yeah, well, why? I didn't tell you why. Why is he going to see Elisha the prophet? Yeah, leprosy. So this great man, he has leprosy. That's not good, and so he needs to be healed. He doesn't know where to go, what to do. So the little servant, she tells, you know, Naaman's wife, who is an enemy of God, <laughs> an enemy of the state, says, "Hey, uh, there's a guy down here in, in uh, Israel named Elisha. He's he could help you out." And she tells him, and you know what? At the behest of the servant, they went down there. Now, do you think that servant girl has it? She's not even named. Do you think that you think that she had some credibility? Evidently. How'd she get that kind of cred? There was something about that little servant girl that when she said something, those words carried weight. There was something about the way she comported herself, the way she carried herself, the way she handled her tasks, the way she did whatever she was supposed to be doing That that... The heads, the heads of uh, you know principalities and captains of armies are like, okay, I'm listening. And of course, he gets down there and he's not happy because Elisha's like, yeah, go, go dip yourself seven times over here. I'll see you later. You know, he doesn't even come out to you know send him to see him. He's like, well, this is a stinking little river. I could, I got better rivers than this back home. You know, and I'll go to the Euphrates River. And as, and fortunately, he had a servant who said, hey, uh, Naaman, I, with all due respect, sir. Uh, maybe you should just do what the prophet says. This might work out good for you, you know, because if he told you to do something hard, you'd have done it. So once you do something easy, you know, it kind of appeals to the guy's intellect. And to Naaman's credit, he listened. And uh, you know what? He looked at his servants, evidently. There's some credit. There's, it's interesting how God uses Gentile soldiers uh, oftentimes to show godly character. Roman soldiers telling Jesus, hey, I'm under authority. I get authority. You t- say it, it'll happen. Jesus is like, man, I haven't seen faith like this. No, not in Israel, right? There's just something about a faithful servant that it impressed, it impressed Jesus. And uh, you know what? God answered Naaman's, the desire of his heart was to be healed of leprosy. And uh, he finally submitted. And you know what? He was healed of leprosy because of servants, faithful servants. And of course, that went well for Israel. And Daniel, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were all servants of Nebuchadnezzar. And impacted the kingdoms of Babylon and Persia greatly. Uh they were they didn't disrespectfully, you know, rebel, they got permission not to partake of the king's meat. And uh and they're like, Hey, just test again, these servants had credibility. They're like, Well, you know what? Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and run some interference here and let's just give this a a, a week to see how this works. The next thing you know, they're fatter than everybody else, and they're like, Okay, keep going, Daniel. And and so they had credibility. Why is that? Because they were faithful. It wasn't just faithful to the person that was over them. They were faithful to God. And so uh, they were faithful to God, which made them have credibility with their servants. That doesn't mean it always goes well. It didn't always go well with Daniel, did it? He was faithful to God and he was praying, so they passed legislation to keep him from praying. Even the king couldn't reverse it, so they had to throw him in the lion's den. So it wasn't always like roses, but uh, the, the king goes to prayer and intercedes for Daniel because Daniel's such a good servant, right? And he changes the heart of the king, both of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, boy, he was a rough, he, he was a rough case. He had to go out and eat the eat chew the cud for a while <laughs> before God got hold of him. He was a rough, he was a tough nut to crack. But the uh, the Medes and the Persians, I mean, the Persians come in there, uh, and uh, man, he, Daniel, Daniel just had he had influence because he was a good servant. Nehemiah was uh, the king's cupbearer, and he helped get Israel on track with God for a season. Well, he was able to ask, leave, and go, and he had, a, he had enough authority to, to be like a governor when he rolled in there because he was a good servant. Um, and I could go on and on, right? You could just go on and on and on through the Old Testament, all these faithful servants. Paul says we're to serve with singleness of heart, and in our context, that would mean fidelity to the Lord and our employer, and so, like I said, if you're an American and you can't do that, then get a different job. I mean, it's that easy. You're not even bound. You know, it's not hard. It's not like you're in bondage, at least not right now. So you can get another job. So, uh, so the next thing we need to understand about that is that godly servants please God, not men. So they're faithful to their masters. They, they have integrity of heart, and then they're, they're, they, they serve uh, God, not men. And, and they please God, not just serve God. They please God, not men. So in Ephesians 6, 6, Paul says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the the heart. Yeah, not the head. <laughs> they're not just gutting it out. Oh, I'm going to get through this. They're, they're, actually, their heart's into it. And that means a lot. Anybody ever lose heart? Ugh. Yeah, man, it's easy to lose heart in your job that's not really a job issue that's a spiritual issue it's because we don't understand who we're serving and so it's easy to let your job eclipse uh, eclipse your real purpose once you realize your real purpose is serving christ it makes your job a whole lot better and so it's kind of an escape in a way i know when i mean i was I'm, i'm not i'm just saying when i was in the business world i had a lot of pressure on me a lot all the time but you know what the way you cope with that is you you cast your care on the Lord. And you serve the Lord. You know, that's who you're serving. And you, by the way, you know what you, in America, what that, all this I keep saying, if you don't like it, get another job. That's true. What you do as a Christian is you keep yourself fluid. Because you can. It's amazing. I got disgruntled one time and I was going to leave. I was going to take my own advice. I was done. And uh, you know what? I went, I interviewed with another company. I had the job. And God just gave me some insight, I really feel like, right at the, it was, it, honestly, this job was like, it was, it just looked perfect, it looked like a great opportunity, and then the Spirit of God just said, Brian, don't do it, you know, be faithful to the place I put you, this, and just run it out, because I knew I was wanting to be a pastor anyway, you know, and uh, just run it out there, Um I know you don't feel like this is just and that's maybe not just, but just, I just, I don't know. I I mean, it's not like God had an audible voice, but I just, you know what I'm saying? You're reading your Bible, you're praying and God just says, this is a, this door is not the door you want to go through and I can't tell you exactly why, but anyway, I I knew that there was a flag waving saying, don't, don't do this. It looks good. It sounds like Jacob, but it feels like Esau, (laughs) you know? So I'm like, no. Okay. I'm going back. I'm just going to do. I'm just going to stick it out here where I was. It's nice to know I could have went somewhere else, or I was, you know, or I somewhere else. And man, it wasn't it wasn't this company that was on fire at that time. It wasn't probably a year or two later. Man, they were they're, they're still probably in business somewhere, but they just tanked. I'd have probably gotten laid off, fired. Who knows? I've been probably groveling for my job back. I don't know. And then on my other job, it's this is I hate to say the truth here, but I'm going to tell you the truth. The more I serve Christ. And I don't mean this, you got to understand what I'm saying. So just be careful here. I want to be careful how I say this. The less I cared for what I was doing, I'm not saying I didn't do my job. I did my job. But the less I cared, the better I did. I don't know how to, it was just, God just was changing my heart. I can remember, and it was ministry that helped me. Being in church helped me so much growing up as a man. So I, a lot of my pastoral training was, I obviously went through shepherd school and did all that and circuit and preached and did all that stuff too. But really a lot of my best training happened on a job as a servant. And uh, I tell you, when I was a young, young man, the first one of the first lessons I learned is, I learned a lot of lessons, man. I could go on all night. So I, don't, I won't fill you with all these little stories, but just a few anecdotes along the way. So, so um, how ministry and service go hand in hand. I remember I was sitting down at, uh, this is when I worked at the Fagan Company, and I was just starting, and I had this this job I was drawing up for, uh, oh, it was some law firm down on one can- top floor of One Can City Place. It was Back then, that was a big deal. The building just got built, and uh, we had this job, Sinson, Mag, and Fizzle. It's this law firm. And uh, anyway, I'm just, like, freaking out because I'm over my head in what I know. And uh, I'm trying to get this job done. There's a lot of pressure. Little did I know this was, like, going to be my life for the next decade but uh i was young and i'm just like trying to get all this done and and i'm working i'm working and the clock's running and and when you're doing drawings that's how it always is there's always this pressure because you got to get the drawing done because you are the bottleneck in the system you get the drawings out so the guys can get to the job the duck work can get made or the pipe get ordered or whatever electrical stuff get done all right so i'm feeling the pressure the owner's checking on me the engineer's checking on me how you coming how you coming you know I got this new program I'm using. I'm trying to figure it all out. So I go, I go to volley. Finally, the clock, time's up. I got to go to volleyball. I'm the captain. I can't get out of it. <laughs> so I'm going to volleyball, and I get to volleyball. And another a buddy of mine, his name's John Brody. He's on our team. So John and Kim are on the team. And his, his, I had him doing devotion that night. And we're sitting down, and, and uh, he just started a job. And uh, with uh, that time, he was an accountant before he went to the FBI. And so. Uh, Oh, he was, This guy, he was an accountant, then he was a state trooper, and then he became an FBI agent, so quite a guy. But anyway, so we're sitting in, we're sitting in, uh, in devotion, and he says, man, I'm going through this silly, um, back then, the Franklin Planner, that tells you how old I am. The Franklin Planner was a, a big deal. And he's just going through his devotion, and he just says this, and it's not even a Bible principle. Some Mormon came up with it. But he says, you know, a lot of things are urgent, but not a lot of things are important. Man, and when he said that, It just was like, click. A lot of things are urgent, but not a lot of things are important. And man, I tell you, it was just like a ton of weight just fell off my shoulders. Because in my soul, I knew, you know what's important is serving Christ and what I'm doing right here, even though it's volleyball. This is fun. I love it. And that thing's urgent. But you know what? Nobody knows who Stinson, Mag, and Fizzle is. I think they changed their, their, their names now. I don't know. They all sold out. <laughs> nobody cares what's happening on the top floor of, of uh, one can't City place anymore. I mean, who cares? It doesn't matter. You know, Ken Carr, I don't know what he's doing. And Don Ersman, he's somewhere else. And nobody cares. The guys went out, did the job. The duck's probably been torn out 3 or 4, 10, 20 times by now and replaced. It doesn't mean anything. But that I needed that. I needed the ministry. I needed to be at church. I needed to stop what I was doing, get off the treadmill for a minute, go to the house of house of bread, place of rest, sit down, listen to a devotion at volleyball, and have God teach me a lesson that, that lasts me to this very day. A lot of things are urgent, but not very many things are important. And man, you know what that was all about? Is learning fidelity, learning how to have. How to have a faithful heart to God, so I could be a faithful master. So fast forward the tape. So some years later, you know, we've been now. I'm now I'm salty. Been there long enough. I'm no longer the junior birdman. I'm <laughs> not the, not the literally what behind the ear. I mean, I was so young uh, compared to everybody else. I was like, who's this? Who, <laughs> who let the children out of school to come to Dad's day at work or something? You know, when I first started, I was pretty fresh faced. So some years go by, and um, things have changed. I'm managing a department, you know, things are different, and uh, got a lot more experience, so on and so forth. Still a lot of pressure, still a lot of responsibility, but you know how it is. You grow, and you go, and you learn how to deal with all, all of it. And Amy and I are moving from our first house we bought to our second house. And I remember that winter, and uh, I'm getting everything moved, and it's a, like a Friday night or whatever. We're having this big Christmas party, and uh, up to that point, I was like, you know, you can ask Amy. She hated I'm, every every social engagement. It was important back in those days that I hit all of them, and I did all my handshakes, and you know how it is. You, you do all that stuff. And uh, so I was doing all that stuff that you do. But I got to the point, I was just like, you know what, Amy? Now, this is about two years, three years probably before we were down here planting the church. I'm busy in ministry. I'm on the circuit. I've got ministries at church. I'm, I don't know Heartland's coming yet, but I've got a lot of things on. I've got a lot of irons in the fire. And of—and at this point, I don't mean this wrong. I'm still faithful in my job, but my heart. I got to the point where I learned to get out in the parking lot after work and put my hands on the steering wheel and go, Okay, Lord, I'm going to cast all this care on you, and I'm going to drive away right now. And I'm going to leave it here till tomorrow. And not pick it up again. Because I worked with another Christian who was telling me how he couldn't do that. he actually died of a heart attack, by the way. And uh and so uh, I learned to do that. And you know what I, I learned the more I cast my care on the Lord, it was just like I don't mean I didn't have a I had a nonchalant attitude, I just wasn't I just wasn't that concerned because I knew God was gonna take it. I was casting my care on the Lord, right? I was learning to cast if you're around me much, you're going to hear me say that all the time. Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. I don't say that to be funny. Actually, I live that. I mean, that's literally, I'm like, I tell myself that all the time because it's so easy to get you get encumbered with a load of care, right? Especially if you want to be a good servant because you want to, you want to get it all done. And so, uh, Amy and I, we moved our house. We did all that stuff. And <laughs> I got to work. I missed the big party. First time I missed the big company Christmas party, got off the treadmill. I was just, guys, you know how it is. After a while, you've know, how many you've been to 10 of them. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, whatever. And uh, I get to work the next day. They're like, hey, Brian, we missed you. I'm like, oh, yeah, here it comes. Uh, oh, you're the guy for the year. You're the Living the Vision Award. I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and that was a life lesson for me, by the way. It really was. Now I felt bad. I still feel bad. I'm like, man, I probably should have been there. But I was moving my house, you know. So uh, if they knew in my heart <laughs> how little living the vision meant to me, because <laughs> by that time, what vision was I really wanting to live? Yeah, I'd, I'd been studying my Bible. I'd, I was. I'd been out of HBI for or uh, Shepherd School for over a year, and I'm praying, God, where I got to live the vision, and this ain't the one I'm wanting to live. Every day that became less and less of a priority. And somehow, that's the year I get the Live in the Vision Award. And to this day, I don't understand that. But I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make a point here. Not that you should be careless, obviously. We should not be careless. But we should have such a focus on Christ and such a desire to serve Christ that He supernaturally uses us in our jobs. That That... So some people, like, it's competing, you know. How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? I and guys, I cannot explain this because it doesn't make sense to me either, even to this day, how the more I focused on Christ, the, he just took care of me. He just takes care of you on your job. I remember I heard I, another example of the, the, this kind of thing. I got. I could go, literally, I could probably t- be here till 10 or 11 tonight just telling you one story after the next like this. But I'll give you another example. So... I'm, a, I'm just, I'm busy, as I've, I told you. I'm busy on my job. I got a lot to do. One of the, the, the troubles I always had was finding help during our busy times, guys that you could bring in and that could get up to speed and go and so on and so forth. Well, in the time I had worked in that business, I'd, I literally did hundreds of drawings, if not more, thousand, I don't know, drawings all over the city, doing drawings all over the place. And I had a team of guys doing drawings. and So we're doing drawings all over the place. Not one time. That a customer that, that I can remember write a letter saying your drawings are the best. We're so thankful for the drawings you produce and all this stuff. But we're in a pinch, and I don't have resources. I can't find enough hands. You know how it is, or maybe you don't. But anyway, it's my job to get the hands on uh, to get these drawings done because we got construction to do. Blah, blah blah. This is like the '90s. Man, it was just like on fire. There was just not enough resources, and. Uh, so I I hired my drafting teacher. (laughs) So Earl, Earl's off for the summer, you know, he's probably out working on a car, spinning a die, or uh, spinning a lathe somewhere, you know, and he's, I'm like, Earl, I need help, man, can you come in and help? He's like, okay, if you know Earl, he's like, okay, Brian, I'll come in and help, you know, and uh, so I bring him in, he works with the Charlie's fellow that I was telling you about, (laughs) Daryl, he goes into Daryl's office and Daryl's got him busy doing something. I don't remember remember what it was. I think it was something really kind of easy, like, uh, like what you call red lines. These are, anyway, simple stuff, not heavy-duty, you know, construction style, big job stuff, just little stuff. And he's done, and he leaves. and It's like a week later. These letters come in. saying What a great job this department did, and what a great job this... And I just, I knew when that happened. I was like, Lord, that has got to be you. Not that Earl didn't do a good job. He did a great job. But the, the work that he was doing, you're getting letters on that? That is crazy. The, and then I got, they, they gave me the kudos. Well, man, thanks for bringing that guy in. And I'm like, I was just struggling to get somebody in. And, and that guy doesn't care and I don't care. But praise God, you know, God did something good. Now, those are just little, little things. But, but God does that stuff when you're, when, you're, when you're focusing on him and you're trying your best serve and uh, sometimes you just don't know how god's going to come through you know what you're learning then to walk by faith something changed in onesimus's life and paul's like hey you can depend on this fellow. when he left you philemon you couldn't trust him for nothing but something's happened in his life and now jesus is his lord you treat him like a peer because he's a child of the king he's a child of the king And you know what happens on your job? Even if you're a servant, just like that little servant girl, just like Joseph, the next thing you know, they pull you out of the prison. (laughs) And they say, oh, you can solve our problem? There's a famine coming? Here you go. Here's the keys of the car. You can drive it. You just can't be Pharaoh. Okay. And he ends up getting brought up. That's what a good father does with his children. He brings them up. And so... So servants, just understand that. You're working for your father in heaven. And when you're obedient to him, he'll bring you up eventually. My grandpa told me that many, many, many years ago. He said, just stay faithful in one job. Of course, he's from the era when they had pensions. (laughs) And, uh, you know, just stick it out. 30 years and you'll be good. Of course, things have changed since then. And I was going to be a preacher. But that was still good advice, which is basically be faithful. Right? Have integrity integrity is like, like like the same word as integer be focused want single minded and then uh, and please god not men all right i lost my way here where am i going with this thing so you learn a lot by serving and you don't always know how it's going to work out but if you're faithful to the lord god will take care of you so godly servants they please god not men paul tells the servant that his, his real allegiance is to god through though he serves men so this gives the servant a bright outlook, no matter how dark things get. So Joseph would not sin against God, right? Nor Potiphar when he confronted the wickedness, uh, when he was confronted, I'm sorry, with wickedness. Though it didn't look like it paid off, it always pays off to serve God over men. So let me give you some verses here. First, Ephesians 6, 6, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So in Job, the Bible says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's pretty faithful. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. Uh, Okay, let's see what God says here. Daniel chapter 3. Though it didn't look like it would pay off, right? God says, do it. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego answered and said to thee, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So you do have some liberty as a child of God. Old Testament, New Testament. You don't have to worship Satan. <laughs> you never have to worship anybody but God. That includes your boss, all right? You honor him, but you don't worship them. Uh, it may cost you your life, right? But that's okay. At least you're being faithful to the Lord. If he calls you to it, he'll get you through it. And, uh, and that's what they said. Okay, uh, you got this big fiery furnace, and uh, if we don't bow down and worship uh, the image made to you, then we die. Well, okay, we don't have to pray about that. Just go ahead and sign us up for the death. Just throw us on in there because we don't have to pray about who we're serving here. So make sure, I mean, we've got to understand that our service is to the Lord, not unto men. 1 Corinthians, that's not just Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 7. Let every man abide in the same calling where he is called. Right? What's he mean by that? Verse 21. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. Right? He's saying don't get caught up in that. You're still a child of God. Just just roll with it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. Hey, if you have a chance to get out of... of, uh, Bondage, get out. Do it. Uh, we, you, go for it. Better yourself. Like I said, if you're in bondage and you think you can get a better job, go, get, go do it. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. So now here's a mindset for you. He that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. So he's saying that if you find yourself in bondage as a slave and you come to Christ... You're no longer a slave. You're the Lord's free man. Does that mean your master's going to understand that? Not at all. The person that has to know that is you. That's what Paul's telling the slaves in Rome. Hey, listen, regardless of what your master thinks or knows, uh, they don't own you, Right? Again, this gets back to why there was a civil war in this country. Number one, this was an issue with the founding of the nation in the cons- with the Constitution. And number two, uh, Abraham Lincoln, in his second, second inaugural address, called it like it was and said, hey, this is God's judgment on us. You can't sit there and say that God's given us uh, liberty <laughs> and then we put people in slavery. That's absolutely wrong. It's, totally, it's abominable. Just can't, like you can't say we honor life and then kill infants in the womb it's absurd it's ridiculous judgment comes for he that is called in the lord being a servant is lord's free man so guess what servant you're free likewise also he that is called being free oh by the way free man you're christ's servant so if you thought you were free because you lived in the usa and you get your rights well guess what you're wrong you have no rights when you got saved you gave up your rights to christ you are now his he owns you you are his slave don't like that, do we? We don't like that in America, but that's the truth. That's what the church needs to hear more than than how sweet Jesus is and how he's your boyfriend and all that other stuff. Man, what the church needs to hear today is that, you know what? You have no rights, that Jesus Christ paid for you, and and we owe him everything, and the least we could do is give him our life. That's just not going to be popular, though. But that's the truth. That's the truth. And if you serve him, though, I'm telling you, Man, the more we serve him, you just can't outgive God. He's just so sweet. He loves his kids. He brings us up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Yea, you're bought with a price. Be not servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. So he's telling both of them, whether you're free or bond, don't serve men, serve God. But also serve your masters. (laughs) Right? So he's saying, be a good testimony. Okay, so godly servants. Man, they know God's will and they do it, right? Godly servants know and do God's will. Ephesians 6, 7, with good will doing services to the Lord and not to men. So a godly servant understands whatever he is commanded to do is intended by God to bring God glory. That's the truth. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, right? It says, you guys know this verse, many of you. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the... Glory of God. That's right. Glory of God. So godly servants know the Lord will reward their fidelity to Him as well. There's some promise to that. So being faithful to God that brings some hope, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Right. When God, you, uh, who was it? Who was it today? Oh, it was Lila Burton. What you reap is what you sow. That's true. It's true where God's going to bless you if you're a blessing. Um, Verse uh, 7 of Galatians chapter 6. Oh, I'm missing these. There we go. Well, I missed a verse on you guys. So Galatians chapter 6, I probably threw it in after the fact. In verse 7 it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. So all Christians are servants because they are children of God. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. You say, man, I'm a child of God. I'm throwing these chains off. God says, hold up. Hold up The child as long as he's a servant. Though he's an heir, though he's, he's going to inherit everything, as long as he's a child, he doesn't differ from a servant. Though he's the Lord of everything. Right? Uh, he 's under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Every Christian has to understand that. Uh, God has put us where He 's put us so we can learn, so we can learn to submit. At least most of us don 't have to submit to a, a literal cross. Some of us do, right? A couple years ago, four or five years ago, over in the Middle East, several, several of our brothers and sisters literally pinned to crosses and died that way. They had to literally bear a cross. They were learning. They were obeying the Lord, and God was going to bless them for that. Most of us just got to serve the Lord and uh, be faithful, and man, God's going to bless us. And good night. That's not so hard to do, though we're, though we we're, we're even though you're an heir, as long as you're a child, it doesn't differ from a servant. Though we be Lord of all, we're children of God. Serve Him as such. The Apostle Paul considered himself to uh, simply be a servant of Christ. In Romans chapter one and verse one, he says, "Paul." The great apostle, no, he says, Paul, servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated into the gospel of God. He put his service ahead of being an apostle. Sure, he had the authority of an apostle, but he says, you know, really, I'm just a servant. I'm a servant of Christ. So we should all submit to those who, to those God places under, I'm sorry, I just lost my spot there. So we should submit to those God places under us for his honor and glory and their benefit. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 16, the Bible says, But do good unto the, and communicate, and forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. There we go. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, uh, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing uh, to live honestly. So he says, man, make sure you're obeying those that have rule over you. If that's your parents, that's your parents. If that's your employer, that's your sergeant. Uh, at, you know, whoever it is, man, make it good on them. Don't make it a, bur- a burden. First Peter chapter five and verse five. Yeah, Ron. Uh, I'm sorry, you said... Hebrews thirteen sixteen through eighteen. I did It is on the screen too. So uh, First Peter, which I don't have that up there. First Peter, another passage for you. Oh, there it is. First Peter chapter five and verse five. The Bible says, "Likewise, you younger, submit." that word, that word submit." It, that, that's tough with some folks. Submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion. Walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So in the context of the church, right, and in a family, and on a job, right, if you're an apprentice, just word to the wise, word up. If you're an apprentice, act like one. If you're a freshman, act like one. Right, if you're the new kid on the block, new girl on the block, act like it. Uh, yeah, it's not wise if you don't uh, submit yourselves under the elder, and and uh, and be wise. So, uh, that's a good passage. I love First Peter five. There's a lot more I could say there. I'm just going to keep moving for time's sake. So, a note here, I want to bring up. I'm at the humble masters. I got one more note here about. The immorality of slavery, which is where we're going to wrap it up. So, and it's not in your notes, or I don't. Is it on your handout? Where is my handout? I don't have it. Is it on the handout? The immorality of slavery. If you have a blank, I was showing my notes at number seven. Okay, that word's immorality. I don't have it listed up. I'm, that's humble. I don't have it up there. So there's a number seven. That's my bad. I've, I must not add it to the PowerPoint. Uh, a note about the immorality of slavery from the Scripture. Just to kind of wrap this up, because this is a, this is you know I've talked a lot about slavery in our context. I'm talking more about you know practical job and employer type stuff. But uh, slavery is practiced in the West, in West Africa, uh, Europe, and the United States in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries is biblically immoral. Just so nobody miss you know twists my words around. Um, is wicked and sinful and so they don't have to take me off YouTube or Twitter alright so the Bible is clear that oppre- the oppressive nature of Egyptian slavery uh, was also wrong right and God brought Moses to be deliverer to the people of God even though God used it it wasn't, it wasn't moral God said let my people go and he says no God's like no you, don't, you misunderstood me I said let my people go <laughs> that's what I meant I'm the owner here. And so in Exodus 21-2 and many other passages, Hebrew slaves were never intended to be in servitude for more than six years, by the way. So when you see slavery in the Hebrew context, it was, it was a contract for, for about six years. And every seventh year, they were to be released. There was provision for a lifelong service. If one chose, they had their own free will to choose to stay with a, a master. Uh, they could have a have their nail or their earlobe put on the post, and they would drive an awl through it, and that would pierce their ear to show that they were a slave, and uh, they would stay in their house. Um, but that was at the discretion of the slave, not the slave owner. In fact, no Hebrew really owned a slave. They simply made a contract for six years at a time like an employment contract. The Hebrew servant slaves, uh, they, in contrast to ancient customs, the servitude was time limited with freedom guaranteed on the seventh year. The servant leaves with his wife if he came with her. The maidservant doesn't go free on the seventh year. Um, uh, She she may be purchased as a wife either for the master or his son. She may not be sold to another. Uh, He may not diminish her food or her raiment or conjugal right. If she does not do so, she goes free without money. So they they even had a deference for women and how they treated them from the men. The Roman law operated much the same way uh, in both cases. The children of slaves were not the property of the master, nor, the, nor uh, able to be serving in perpetuity. They couldn't serve forever. And when that did occur, it was oppressive and God judged it. I'm, I'm not saying there weren't instances of that going on, but that was not to be done. Slavery in the Bible did not represent the same as slavery we, uh, that was occurring in Africa, Spain, Europe, the colonies you're in in uh well i said you're great britain many of the many people of all races also were indentured servants in the colonies and even in the united states uh, which is definitely not talked about today they would serve out a contract and then be released as free men or women um, and so no that wasn't all the, always the case but that was also the case slavery in the bible and throughout history was not a racial construct uh as it was under African and Roman Catholic partnerships in West Africa. So what am I saying about that? Uh, Some people are under the 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 misinformation that slavery, the only slavery that's ever occurred is the injustice of the African slavery which is an injustice and it shouldn't have occurred. But slavery has been going on. It didn't matter what your color was, what your race was, slavery was slavery. And so there were Hebrew slaves, a lot of Hebrew slaves were teachers and they were educating Romans. And so There was different uh, slaves-of-all-people groups, um, which is different from the slavery uh, here in the United States uh, in the uh, 1700s, 1800s. Um, And the kidnapping and selling of slaves as property was never permissible, though it did occur to Joseph when his brother sold him instead of killing him. Um, And so today the world is coming under a new form of slavery. So whenever they do away with cash, transactions, right, money and possessions... Um, you know, that won't be yours. And ultimately, the entire world will become cattle, which is what's predicted in Revelation. That's what the mark of the beast is all about. And that plays right into the hands of the coming Antichrist and the powers that seek to pit nation against nation, people group against people group, so they can wrest power from the people and place it in the hands of the seven heads and ten horns in Revelation chapter 17. And so... So slavery, as we've known it, really a lot of people are looking in the wrong direction right now. They're looking at slavery in 1619. <laughs> they need to be looking at slavery in like 2020, 2021, 2022. They need to be looking forward at what the, what's coming, not at what happened. Don't get me wrong. You can learn from what happened. I'm not saying that anything that's happened is wrong. But I'm saying a lot of that's been rectified. And what's uh, much worse is what appears to be coming. And what is also certainly coming based on what we understand after the catching away of the church and Daniel's 70th week being fulfilled and the great tribulation after the beginning of sorrows. So I just want to end on that note when it comes to slavery. we're Fortunately, we're not, we're not going into the tribulation period, but we are living in a time that's unique in history. And so, uh, of course, a Marxist agenda, and I'm not getting political, it sounds like I am but I'm not, but... A Marxist agenda will, will definitely, um, and this, this whole transgender stuff they keep pushing that will continue to dehumanize. First of all, they'll degenderify you, and then dehumanize you, and that's all about turning you into property. Because under a Marxist regime, that is what you become is property. So if you find yourself as someone's property, <laughs> just you got to know this, especially free men that were once free and become slaves. You got to know what I said in the beginning. It's not about your rights because you've never been free to begin with. If you're born again, whose servant are you? Jesus Christ. So make your decision today. Who are you going to serve? Right? There's a whole bunch of people deluded that they serve themselves. It's not really true. You either serve God or you serve the devil. And in the days to come, you better make that decision really clear because uh, serving Christ is the only way to go. And serving Christ is the only way to be Free. It's the only way to be free. Christ's servant, as Paul said it, is the free man. So be under the yoke of Christ. Because he doesn't, you notice he makes you free. He doesn't just set you free. He makes you free. And so that's a good passage. There's, the, the truth shall make you free. And he sets you free, but he definitely makes you free. He makes us free through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He frees us from the bondage of sin and death. So tonight, let's go ahead, and uh, I know this is a home crowd. Maybe you're watching online tonight. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and maybe you're feeling oppressed and under bondage of sin, man, you can be free from that. The Lord Jesus Christ will set you free. He'll make you free through the gospel. The good news is that Jesus Christ, the, the God of the universe, who is free from our sin, uh, was made sin for us who knew no sin. And he did that so that he could take on the burden of sin. He died on the cross for our sin. He literally was put on that cross, not because he had to, because he chose to because it was a love relationship with the Father. And the Father chose to love us by giving a son. So all God calls us to do is obey his word, to love him, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says you'll be saved, but you've got to believe that he is who he says he is, that he's God who died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again the third day, and he's alive right now. And so when you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, he literally quickens you. He literally comes inside of you via the Holy Ghost and brings you to life. He quickens your dead soul, and he frees you from the bondage of sin and death. So today, if you're watching online and you need to get saved, call us, 380-3033. You can email us at contact at hbfcast.org, and we can show you in the Bible how you can be saved. If you're in the house and you're not saved, you need to be saved, let me know. We will open up the Bible and, and uh, lead you to Christ. Is there any questions or comments before we wrap it up? Yes, ma'am. Oh, hey, hang on. We gotta. I know you don't like this, but we got to do this for the sake of anybody that might be listening. Okay, to me, it's very freeing to be the slave of Jesus Christ and have him as my master because, okay, he knows me the best or the better than anybody else. He knows what's best for me. He's in charge of me, and I know that I'm in good hands because I'm his slave, you could say. But anyway, it's just freeing to think that, that Jesus Christ is my master. Amen. 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 Good word. Anybody else? I appreciate that, Sharon. It is freeing, isn't it? You know why it's so freeing? Is because we can trust him. Now, you can't trust any other slave owner. <laughs> Jesus is the only one you can trust. So, And if God puts you, we'll talk about masters next time, so I'll hold on that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to meet together and, and uh, talk about what it